Hi friends, and welcome to the Hugging the Bar podcast. Each episode, I'll be chatting with someone from any of the many different pockets of the craft beer world and beyond. We'll talk about big issues like representation and little things like favorite current beer trends, just like you would with a pal at the bar. If you'd like first access to these episodes, become a patron on Hugging the Bar's Patreon. You can find it by searching Hugging the Bar on Patreon's site or through the link in the newsletter issues corresponding to every episode. Excited is an understatement for how I feel to be presenting Hugging the Bar's conversation with Beth Demon, a freelance beer and cider writer and journalist, podcast host, BJCP judge, author, and more, much more. Beth's award-winning work helps many of us stay informed on the most urgent issues in the craft beer industry and community, as well as helping us get to know some of that world's brightest voices. You can find links to Beth's work in the newsletter, but I know we're all anxious to get to the chat. Beth talks about the realities of freelance work and making it fit into a full, multifaceted life, what drives her to tell the stories she tells, her own role in helping to dismantle the barriers of entry and inequity in craft beer, knowing your limits and respecting them to make the biggest impact, the weight of sharing some of the most difficult stories from individuals in the industry, and excitement about cider. Listen in and enjoy. Well, hello, Beth, and thank you so much again for joining Hugging the Bar. How are you? I am literally so excited to be here. I am such a huge fan, so thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm I'm glad that there's no video because I'm blushing really hard. I'm such a fan of yours, and that means a lot to me. Um, And I won't make everyone listen to me gush further. This is about you. So (laughs) we'll jump in. Um, So I always just want to know, this is like my own personal curiosity um, with any quote unquote beer person. uh, I just want to know your, you know, your, your start, your entryway. Like how did you first get into craft beer just even initially as an interest? It was partially because I was really interested in food. I mean, I was a food blogger in 2007, 2008. That's where I got my, like, all my social media handles, the delighted bite that I am like, I'm never going to change that. Who cares that I'm not talking about food much anymore. Um, And then, so also in 2008, I moved from Richmond, Virginia to San Diego with uh, a guy I'd been dating for like four months who now we have been married for 11 years. So I highly recommend doing... Yeah, doing a cross-country move with an almost stranger that, you know, it worked out. And at the same time, it was kind of when San Diego was going through its current real renaissance of craft beer. So we got here and we were broke as shit. Like, we had literally no money. We slept on an air mattress for a year and, like, couldn't afford to put gas in our cars. So we bicycled everywhere and I lost, like, so much weight. It was awesome. And then... um but we didn't really know how to meet people as an adult. And we both had just these weirdo temp jobs and like, couldn't even make work friends. So we would go to bars because that's what normal people do to make friends as adults. And, um, there was just starting to be a lot of excitement and interest in craft beer in San Diego at that time. So, 
just kind of by virtue of what we were doing. And I was already interested in flavors and palate expression and things like that through my, my writing about food just as a hobby. And I just kind of arbitrarily got into it because before that, what I drank was Budweiser and Maker's Mark. <laughs> so often at the same time. And so in 2015, our local alt weekly, which has since died, RIP, the state of American print journalism, but uh, they needed a new beer columnist. Long story short, got the gig. That was my first freelance gig. It was just a side thing at the time. And in 2016, I decided to go full-time freelance into beer writing because I don't like to brew beer. It is not fun or interesting to me to do. I'm not good at it. And I am a good writer. I like to write. I've always been interested in writing. I read a lot. And so it was sort of the easiest and most effective way for me to start participating in the beer industry. And I have been doing that ever since. Amazing. Yeah, I did. Because you've shared a bit, uh, you know, just social media and some of your writing and talking and being on the internet, um, just about that transition from a full-time job and beer, writing about beer sort of being, you know, not obviously not just a hobby, but something on the side that you really built into a career. Uh, is there like anything else that you would kind of share about that period? You know, how that transition really took place? Yeah. yeah one really important aspect to my decision to make it a full-time profession is because at the time I knew that my husband and I, we, we wanted to have a kid and I was like, well, in San Diego, I can't afford to just like not work, but I also can't afford like childcare. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to build my freelance network. Cause I was already doing marketing writing and um as my nine to five so i already kind of knew content and journalism and marketing type writing and, and i just decided to go freelance to build that foundation of a career so that i would be able to have the flexibility once we did have a kid and that's exactly what happened because in 2017 surprise had a baby and he didn't go anywhere. He's still around. And <laughs> so, so now, yeah, I mean, I like to say I'm using air quotes here. I'm a full-time freelancer, but full-time to me is like mornings while he's in preschool half days, you know, he's not even in elementary school yet. So, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, I'm not making 65 grand a year. Like I was when I was doing marketing six years ago. Um, but, you know, I'm paying for groceries and helping to support the family and also am able to be a parent for most of the day. So so that that flexibility was definitely something that I specifically thought about when deciding to do it. And also, I was just kind of like, you know what, if I if I try going full time freelance and I and I hate it or I suck at it or it just isn't financially viable, it's not like I can't go back and get another job, you know, like there's always mm -hmm. jobs. So I just figured, you know, fuck it. Why not? Like, I'm going to try it. And it, it worked out. And now I can't even imagine working in an office like that sounds like my worst nightmare. Um, yeah, same. Uh, <laughs> but I do want to get into some specifics about the kinds of stories that you write in a moment. But um, in general, 
what are your personal feelings about, you know, the responsibility of being a writer and journalist in craft beer right now, you know, about the power that your voice can have and, and what it can accomplish? There are many avenues that beer writers can take and should take in terms of covering things. There is a need for straightforward reporting. You know, I want to know when the brewery down the street is opening. I want to know how many taps they are going to have. I want to know what their hours of operation are. Like, there is there is a need for that. Just straightforward information. That being said, there is also an equally important need to talk about the things that are harder to talk about, that are a little bit more abstract or not quantifiable, like workplace workplace conditions or cultural aspects of things. And that's what I like to focus on a little bit more. I do talk about some, you know, technical brewing studies and, you know, what size is your brew house? And what do you, you know, why do you do these types of styles? And knowing that kind of beer history and and style type stuff, like that, that's something I like too. But I do tend to personally focus more on the cultural issues because I think that craft beer is unique in that it makes its culture so inextricable from just operations, you know, blurring those personal and professional boundaries uh, for consumers and employees. And so I think that it is at this point, my responsibility to continue that work along with, with many other people who, who focus on these types of issues. Um, But that doesn't mean that I'm going to turn down a job where they're like, hey, can you write a listicle of the 12 best places to drink beer in San Diego? I'm like, yeah, obviously I'm going to do that. I need money too. <laughs> so, so yeah, it is a balancing act of, of the stuff that I want to write about, the stuff that I think is important to write about, and the stuff that pays me to continue this career path and uh, – I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like it does a little bit. It absolutely does. Um, And just sort of tack on to that because you actually go beyond using your voice in like the specific avenue of journalism. Um, You know, you founded, you have your Diverse Writers Beer Initiative and you're a founding member of the San Diego Brewers Guild Diversity, Equity and Inclusion (laughs) Committee. Mm -hmm. Um, So what kind of work for you goes into these initiatives and why is that an important you know, aspect of the entire package that is your career and your involvement in craft beer? Like what kind of impact does this work have? Well, not only do I think that it is ethical and and a moral responsibility to participate in dismantling racist, sexist, homophobic systems um, that you know, are barriers for entry for people. And I mean, they're just, they're just wrong. I mean, they're just, they're as a human being, I feel like it is not an option to opt out of those things, especially as a white cis woman. Like I, I'm barely marginalized and I, and I recognize that I have a lot of privilege and I, I have the capability to use that voice that I do have, the influence that I do have to hopefully change things. So, you know, that's, that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it is, you know, A, if I don't do it, who's going to, and B, if I want to write about these things and really be a, you know, hopeful 
person who helps change things, if I don't participate outside of just writing things, I'm not very credible. You know, people would look at me and say, well, you're saying these things, you're, you're talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk. And so I do think that both of those things are motivators for me personally to, to do the outside work that I do through the Diverse Beer Writers Initiative. And uh, full disclosure, I'm actually no longer on the Brewers Guild committee just because it ended up being, um, I don't know, maybe I just don't play well with others. I don't know. (laughs) We were doing a lot of great ideas and I don't want to disparage the work of any committees who are working to, you know, dismantle these systems. But I just felt like with my, I have a limited amount of time and energy. And I felt that my positive impact potential was more so in the writing and consulting work that I am dedicated to doing than doing that. And so really just something had to give. And it was it was pandemic time. Um, I think we started in like fall 2019. So it got really difficult to convince people to care about diverse and equitable hiring practices when everything was closed. So the landscape certainly changed and I'm, and I'm open to rejoining a committee like that in the future. But for the time being, it was just kind of unsustainable for me personally. Um, and I think that that's something important to to talk about. I mean, knowing your limits and knowing where you can make the maximum positive impact without burning out, because that's a very, very real thing. And uh, anyway, so that was a really long answer to why I do the things that I do. But I think, yeah, you have to be honest with your capabilities and where you can best make a difference. And it isn't everywhere. No, I think that's really important. So uh, not a, a too long answer, in especially in that regard, too, because it hits upon the impact and the need, but also that you're really only making that impact and, you know, fulfilling both like the work that needs to be done and yourself if you're being honest with your limits, right? Because once yeah. you're stretched too thin, it's no good for anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah, I, I think I had to be really honest with myself about those limits. And, you know, like I said, my kids, he's only in preschool from like eight to 12. So you know, I'm not exactly, you know, burning the midnight oil when it comes to to these types of things, because I just like I am I am a 360 degree whole person like this is a huge part of my life. But I have to make sure that I'm taking care of maintaining my family relationships, my parental relationships, my my friends, and just personal well-being, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, of course. Uh, and okay, so I'm going to pivot a tiny bit um, just to, to hone in on one project of yours that I love, which is your monthly newsletter, Prohibition. Um <laughs> And so for anyone who, who doesn't yet know somehow, uh, it, this newsletter spotlight, spotlights women and non-binary individuals in beverage alcohol. Uh, so I'm just curious, you know, we've talked a little bit about what sort of draws you to the stories that, that you work on. What draws you here to who you profile and, and whose story you tell in the newsletter? 
So that started as a very San Diego beer specific series for, again, another magazine in San Diego that no longer exists. And that was a monthly profile of a different woman working in San Diego beer. It was great, like super great foundational jumping off point. So when the magazine closed, I kind of had this idea and this name that's like really good that I didn't want to let it go to waste. (laughs) And I was just like, well, what can I do with this? And I was like, well, why am I limiting myself to just San Diego, just beer? Like there are just in the course of my work over the last couple of years, I have been, you know, lucky to be able to connect or even just learn about or hear about different people with you know varying marginalized identities whether they just be women or queer or trans or black or just anything outside the typical white male dominated beverage alcohol industry and doing really interesting things that just are not being recognized they're not being talked about and i didn't want it to be this tokenization of here is some, you know, a woman doing this thing. And I'm only talking about her because of her identity. It's they, there are a ton of people doing interesting, innovative, unique, important things across beverage alcohol, across the world that are just, whether it be unconscious or conscious bias, they are overlooked. They are, their efforts are belittled or minimized by people or, you know, mainstream media outlets or anything like that. And so I just said, well, I, I can do this myself. I don't need to pitch it to somebody and and get their input. And so I just started doing it. And it's, it's like unbelievable. I have so many interesting people that I want to talk to lined up or just on my radar that I like, I will never run out of ideas. And that's, it's so funny because, you know, a lot of times if I would pitch these profiles of people, it would be like, well, nobody, nobody care. Like that's not interesting enough or they, they aren't unique. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it's just so, it's so interesting. The, the gatekeepy structure that you so often find in, media, uh, whether it be digital or, or print that I was just like, you know what, like, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. This is free to subscribe. It's free to read. I have some sponsors that help me, you know, make it financially viable just to be able to spend my limited amount of time to keep it going. But they have no editorial say they have no editorial direction. Like I don't talk to them unless I'm sending them an invoice. (laughs) So it's, it's nice. And I just figure I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to keep this going as long as I can, because again, if I don't tell these stories or share their stories through their own words, not through the lens of my mouth, uh, you know, a who's going to, and B let's make it normal. Let's make sharing these stormy, these stories more normal, more common, uh, and hopefully, you know, more people and more outlets and bigger visibility will, will come after that. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that specifically from that, that, you know, that perspective to addressing that gatekeeping. So I know, I'm sure many of us are grateful for that kind of work that you do. Um, and, and one thing, you know, many of us in, in beer and in media know and love about your work is that, you know, you have 
often told some or, you know, told the stories of people that are incredibly difficult. Um, So, and you walk this fine line between uncovering every pertinent facet of the story, but doing so with much sensitivity, understanding, nuance. And I think it's a balance that not every journalist achieves all the time. Uh, Is there anything you can sort of share about your process or maybe the state of mind you're in when interviewing and reporting, you know, things you remember as you sort of travel through the steps of, of stories like that? It's definitely not work that somebody could jump into w- without a lot of of background or a lot of kind of work that leads up to it because there is a level of credibility and trust that is absolutely required to be able to discuss the things in the depths that you're you're kind of talking about. And it's it takes a long time to make people feel comfortable enough to share what is sometimes their life's greatest trauma with somebody they've never met before. And whenever anybody is uncomfortable doing that, even to me, like that's, that's totally understandable. Like there are secrets that I have that I will never go on record for, whether it be shame or, embarrassment or just fear of safety or or legal status i mean there are look at what's happening at bruda like private investigators and like i don't want people going through my mail (laughs) like i you know i i specifically pay for a number of services for like internet privacy and things like that and like it's very necessary uh it's you know, not paranoia. <laughs> and it's, you know, I, I, that type of work isn't for everybody, like straight up, like it, anybody could not do this. And while it's nice to hear that, it, you know, it, it is nice to hear that it's appreciated because I think it's important, but it's almost like, I don't want gratitude. I want change. And, and, and I don't mean to sound ungrateful because it is, it is really an, an honor and a privilege to, be a part of what I hope is sea change across craft beer and and beverage alcohol in general. But um, it's certainly not for the faint of heart. And the way to approach it is often not the most mentally healthy. You know, there is, there is an element of straightforwardness to, you know, after, after you've had these harrowing discussions that take an extraordinary amount of sensitivity to, to even get through, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to turn your emotions off for a little while, just, just to get the piece out there and then kind of go through this, you know, catharsis of, of responses and just see how it's being received. See if there is any tangible changes being made, you know, is this just one voice of many pushing towards improvement? Um, And, you know, I, I think it takes every single person that go that comes forward with a story like this, whether it be a writer or a source, is helping to chip away the stigma of sharing trauma in order to make positive change. And I just hope that my work is is a little part of that. I hope, you know. 
Yeah, and and I guess on that note a bit, um, I, I want to talk about burnout uh, in, in two sort of regards. First, uh, regarding writing specifically, I think it's especially relevant when you are helping people share these stories about some of the hardest things, you know, they've dealt with in their lives and careers, discrimination, toxic workplaces, mm-hmm. you know, feeling their only choice might be to leave a career they work so hard to build. Mm-hmm. So this might sound like an overly earnest question, but like really what keeps driving you? Do you ever feel like you want to step away from this industry or the stories you tell? I feel like that all the time. I feel like that all the time. But you know what? It, it, it goes back to that, you know, I have worked for years to cultivate that, not not reputation, but like that, that credibility that I was talking about earlier. And it would just be, what a fucking waste to walk away. You know, like that would just be ridiculous. And, and why would I, I wouldn't feel right passing the buck. You know what I mean? And I don't, and I don't mean that I, I think that there isn't room for more people to join this, this chorus. There absolutely is. We need to get as many people as possible. I want these stories to be, to start, being boring, you know, like, like, just be like, Oh, like, that doesn't really happen anymore. I want them to be obsolete. I want them to be outdated. Uh, But you know, that's human nature. I don't think that's ever, you know, sexism is never going to go away. Racism is never going to go away. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try our damnedest to to make it as shitty as possible for those who still subscribe to it. And I mean, there are times where I get off social media, there are times where I just don't, pursue stories like that because I simply cannot. Um, The benefit of that now is I think there are more people in a position to take on those stories. Like it's not, it's, it's never just been me. Like I'm not this sole voice who's, who's pushing change, like, but there are more now. And I think that that's, that's great. And so, you know, there are, there are moments of, guilt and being like, well, I can step away from this. Like I'm inherently privileged in that way. But if I don't take five, I'm not going to be able to, to go the distance. And so, you know, the one difficult lesson that I've learned when doing this type of work is that no matter what you do, somebody's going to disagree with you. Somebody's going to hate you. Somebody's going to think you're an asshole. Somebody's going to think you're doing it wrong. They could do it better. And like, that's, hard to deal with on a regular basis, but I think as long as you look at your actions from every perspective and say, why am I doing this? What is the short-term benefit? What is the long-term benefit? And if you're really honest with yourself, and that's kind of the annoyingly ethereal uh, touch point that that I give to people. It's just like, if you can sleep at night knowing you tried your hardest and this, you know, Monday is going to be different than Friday is going to be different than Sunday in terms of what you can give and what you can absorb. Uh, as long as you can sleep at night, then it doesn't really matter what other people say, because only you know your tap out point. Right. There's also burnout, I think, when it comes to the entire culture, culture around craft beer. Uh, because I know you semi recently tweeted about writing about being over like quote unquote craft beer culture. Yeah. Um, and I felt that tweet in my very bones. 
Well, I think to some, it might not be immediately clear, like what we mean when we say something like that. Uh, like you can say be in love with craft beer, but not so much craft beer culture. So how would you differentiate there? Why do you personally feel over that culture? Why do you still love craft beer itself? I, I wouldn't say, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm like totally over it. Cause if I was like, I, I wouldn't give a shit about improving it. You know what I mean? Um, I would say that it is no longer the, Thankfully, it is no longer the defining characteristic of like me and my life. Like for a long time, like I waited in line for the for the hype releases. Like I I would go to the beer festival, like this, that, and the other. And and it's just, you know, I grew up and I do have other priorities and I do have other interests. And, you know, I have a kid, like, and he's not a baby. Like we go out and we do stuff, and like that to me is way more fun than like chasing the latest release or, or something like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's also just, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I'm like completely over craft beer. Cause like I've got beer in the front. Like I like beer. I'm, I'm always going to like beer. I like drinking beer. I like the taste of it. I like judging it, you know, through BJCP. I like writing about it, but do I feel the, the need to like, make it my world like no i just don't and and i don't think it's healthy for me on mentally or physically anymore and so you know do yoga or you know take up chess or so, you know just find something else besides like just beer because it's i mean maybe other people who are like newer to it feel differently but i'm just kind of like oh you're a beer person like oh that sucks Yes, I feel that. Um, so in addition to writing stories, running initiatives, hosting podcasts, beer judging, much more, um, and we're just obviously talking about your work, uh, you're also writing a book, which I'm very excited about. Is there, I don't know, like what you can share, you know, as you're just working on it, uh, but can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah. So I am writing a book called The Beer Lover's Guide to Cider, and it was really inspired by, well, I'll tell you what it's about first. And it, so it's basically, if you like beer, here are some ciders that you might like. Here's why, because there's a lot of preconceived notions about cider, especially in the United States, because it, you know, 80% of the cider industry is dominated by Angry Orchard, you know? So like, if you've drank cider, there's an 80% chance that it's Angry Orchard. And it's sort of this one thing. And it's, Cider is just so much more than that. And so I think um, it, it really came about the idea for the book was in 2020, I went to CiderCon, which is the you know American Cider Association's annual trade conference. And I was on a panel with, you know, there was a wine person, a cider person, and I was the beer person. And we did these side-by-side -side tastings where it was, if you like this beer or this wine, you might like this cider, here's why. And we kind of unpacked the flavors, the mouthfeel, the finish, the aroma, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And people were psyched to have a beer person there because the cider world is especially, I mean, compared to beer too, is, is teeny tiny, but it's growing and it's growing a lot. And I think there's a lot of similarities, not just in flavor because cider is completely different than beer. I mean, it's wine straight up and, but you know, in the, in food pairing, in the appreciation for craft, 
You know, if you have a favorite hop variety, there's no reason why you can't have a favorite apple variety. And I think that as people, the typical craft beer consumer is kind of aging up a little bit and the new drinkers coming into, you know, their 20s are a lot less segment loyal than they have been in the past. Like they'll drink anything. Like the base spirit doesn't matter to people. So they just want to like have a, a very specific flavor. And I think that cider has a lot of potential. It has a lot of room to grow. And if you are either a new drinker looking for direction on how to experience cider, or you are an experienced beer drinker and you are getting a little bit bored, which is like me to a T here is a, you know, jumping off point. Is it going to be the, you know, the ultimate cider guide of the entire universe? Like, no, but it'll give people direction if they're just like, well, isn't cider just like really sweet and this and that. And it's like, no, like look for these things and then start to decide for yourself. So it'll take a little bit of an open mind to, you know, read it, but, um, but yeah, but that's what I'm working on. And it's, it's, it's exciting. I mean, it's a career step for any writer and it's just personally interesting to me. Um, I love cider. I'm really learning to love it uh, through this process. And so I don't have like a date or even estimate when it'll come out or, you know, like it's totally, it's my first time doing this. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing, but it's been, oh yeah. And but it's fun. book timelines are, are, are all over the place. I hear, uh, always changing, yeah. but I, am, I'm just, I, I mean, I'm very psyched for you. It is a big step and I am just psyched for whenever it does come out. Cause I'm a, I'm a cider newbie and just starting to get into it too. So looking forward to that. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to get to like just some sort of fun little light questions to wrap this up. Uh, but before we get there, are there any particular causes you're especially driven by right now in your work that you want to highlight here? Like any particular recent stories you'd especially like to shout out? You mean like stories I've written or just stories I've read? No stories that you've written. This is all about you. <laughs> well, I, I am working on some sustainability pieces because, you know, Earth Day coming and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, that is hugely important. It's just like, uh, you know, I live in Southern California. We don't have any water. Like everything's on fire. This is really bad. And I have written a couple of pieces about sustainability specifically, and it's, uh, I'm working on another one right now for Vine Pair for a big sustainability package they're doing. And so that, that I find to be really interesting. Cause I'm just like, we as a species might not exist like really soon. So we should, you know, like get on that. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, actually, gosh, I've like written a couple now that I'm like looking at my calendar of, of like invoices I'm waiting on and deadlines. I'm like, Oh my God. Um, the most stressful way to look at it. Right. Yeah, I'm just like, wow, that is a lot of sustainability things. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I've got a couple podcasts for good beer hunting coming up. Um, I am going to talk to Kate Bailey from hand and heart about the reconciliation efforts that she's been doing for Mickler and Brewdog and how nutty those are. And, um, yeah, and is always like prohibition, you know, if you, it's spelled how it sounds and it's free and you should read it. And I've got a couple features lined up. At some point, I'd really like to do more than one a month. But like, like I said, time, time is so precious and so, so limited, but we'll see. 
Of course. Well, I'm sure we'll all be keeping uh, an eye and an ear out for, you know, reading and listening to those. Um, so yeah, as, as promised, wrapping it up here, just some, some light, quick little questions. I want to know, I know it's, uh, I guess you would call it your adopted hometown now, San Diego, uh, but what is uniquely great about the beer scene there? I, I really do think that in general, and this is sort of San Diego as a whole and, and not just the beer community is people really do have good attitudes. Um, people are generally nice. And I think it's, we just get a lot of sunshine. Like that's just gotta be it. And it just, everybody smokes weed. So, you know, that's cool. Um, I, I like that, you know, I'm not, uh, I grew up on the East coast. Like I'm a tourist. Like I'm not, the, the nicest, I guess. Like sometimes, like I'm just very blunt. Like I'm very honest. Like I don't like to sugarcoat things because it's sort of a waste of time. But like, people here are just really fucking nice and kind of easygoing. And this is a huge generalization. Like I've met plenty of buttheads who I like despise. But you know, I, I think it goes for beer too. Like people here are genuinely interested in helping other people learn like we have a pretty cool like beer judge community here um i think and and, like a lot of people here really care about like beer education without being really snotty about it again a generalization but just from what i see that's that's kind of what i particularly like about San Diego beer uh, and San Diego in general. And I mean, there's just a lot of beer here. Like it's hard not to drink it because it's everywhere. Like it's, it's a thing. So that's, you know, that's nice too. Drinking good beer with nice people. I like it. You can't go wrong. Really? That sounds lovely. Uh, Are there any other beer destinations in the, in the States or, or the world uh, in particular that you love and or that you haven't gotten to yet, but you're like itching to visit top of your list. Oh, I definitely have some places I'm itching to visit. So now I've been plotting this like New Mexico road trip for years. Like I really, Ooh. I love the desert. Um, I, I really want to go check out New Mexico and I'm just like between bow and arrow and like Avery Swanson is moving to New Mexico. Like all these things yeah. are happening and I'm like, I'm trying to go check that out. Um, Atlanta seems insane like atlanta seems so cool uh in terms of beer food i used to go there for work all the time and like the food was just so much fun so delicious like really really underrated the traffic is terrible like getting around atlanta is a nightmare but i'd love to go check out the beer scene there um i've never been to chicago so i feel like i should go Oh yeah. Um, so those, those are the ones that like immediately jump to mind, but honestly, I'm trying to drink more cider. I'm trying to go to New York. I'm trying to go to the UK. I'm definitely trying to drink more cider and Perry, but, uh, you know, it's not like flights are getting any cheaper. So that's been difficult. Indeed. But that is a good list. I'm, I feel like a lot of those are at the top of my list as well. Um, a lot, a lot going on, a lot of travel. And like you said, it's, it's not easy, but (laughs) It's, it's motivating. Yeah. Um, so what beer styles do you think, do you find yourself, I should say, especially reaching for right now? I'm just curious if, if it's changed. I know some people sort of like shifted in different directions during the pandemic or, or maybe you've, you've stayed true, but. You know, honestly, I've been drinking a pretty decent amount of non-alcoholic beer. Um, 
just kind of, it's more because it's, it's sort of hot and new and I get a lot of samples. So it's just like what I have on hand. Um, but I, I've been enjoying it. Like I've been, I've been liking it because honestly, my like favorite ABV is like 4.1, like anywhere between 3.8 and 4.1. Like I'm looking for the low stuff and it's, I, I like that a lot. Um, but just as far as styles go, I mean, you know, I'm in San Diego, like obviously I'm going to love a good West coast IPA. That's a, what I reach for a lot, but I mean, yeah, like I said, I've been drinking a lot of dry ciders. Like I've been had, gosh, one that like jumps to mind is I just got a package from number 12 cider in Minneapolis and I thought they were like all phenomenal. Um, so that's, yeah, that's one thing that I've been excited about drinking a little bit more. I gotta be honest, like sours, I'm, I'm really growing out of those because I feel like I've, like I'm about to be 37 and I'm like getting indigestion. Like it's so pathetic, but, but yeah, I'm right here. like the big, the big, big, big stuff. Like I had a triple IPA the other day when I was judging and I was just like, wow, I fucking hate this. Like I don't want to drink this. Well, I went to, I went to a bar the other day and they had plenty the younger on and I was just like, nope, I'm going to have a Pilsner. This is great. And yeah, just like really anything that's like 5% or below regardless of what it tastes like, that's kind of what I'm going for. My life right now. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. What I want to know one thing completely unrelated to beer or beverage, alcohol, uh, any, anything in that world, one thing unrelated that you love favorite hobby book, read. TV show. I brand. love to read. I love to read. I read all the time. Uh, it's, I have a stack of library books, usually like six to eight to 10 books tall. Uh, I, I love to read fiction. I was just, I, I guess there was like some media discourse about like somebody shitting on fiction writing the other day. And I got like really defensive about it to my husband. And he's just like, why are you so mad? I didn't tweet it. And, and I, I just, you know, honestly, if I could just like one thing that I'd like genuinely love to do is I just, I really, really, really like to read. And so, um, that's, that's, that's kind of, that's what I like the best. Anything like jumping out lately? Oh, you know what? I'm going to look up my private Instagram really quick. Then I'm not going to tell any of you what it is, even though it's a really clever name. Cause I tweet all the books that I read. Um, oh, cloud cuckoo land was really good. Um, it was like this, it's probably a really long wait list for any local library. Cause it was for me, but it's just like this this common thread between like thousands of years. So it's like, you know, prehistoric times to like people living on a space station type thing. Um, but they all are kind of tied by this one like particular story. It's I'm explaining it so badly, but, but like, it was such an amazing book and it was, I felt like it was kind of hard to keep track of all the, like the different points of view and like character perspectives, but like I was hooked. Like I, I stayed up like past ten o'clock, which is like a big deal for me to read it. So, so yeah, Cloud Cuckoo Land was like really good. But I, I also really like short stories. Um, like Milk Blood Heat was one that I really liked recently. Uh, the ones who don't say they love you was all like based in New Orleans, um, and those were some of them were like one page long. So I'm just like, if you have like a hard time paying attention or like sticking with long chapters, like read that one. It was, it was amazing. But, um, 
yeah, I read, I read a lot. I read a lot. I like to read. I love it. And I need some more fiction in my life. So that was like a selfish little grab for me for some recs. Um, All right. I'm going to finally let you go here. This was such a great chat and I really, really appreciate it. Uh, Do you want to just let people know where they can go follow you and your work? Sure. On Twitter, it's at Delighted Bite. On Instagram, it's at The Delighted Bite. And if you do want to read Prohibition, it's on Substack and it's free and it's monthly and it really, you have nothing to, to lose. So you should subscribe. But um, also, yeah, BethDemon.com. I don't know. Nobody goes to my website. You should, but maybe you could. I don't know. <laughs> Check it out. Um, all right. Thank you so much, Beth. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you so much again to Beth and thank you all for listening. Let me know what you think of the podcast and if there's anyone you'd like to hear interviewed. You can email me at huggingthebar at gmail.com or find the newsletter on Instagram at huggingthebar. Please share the podcast and newsletter with anyone you think would enjoy it. Subscribing is free and Patreon support gets you, again, early access to these podcasts as well as free swag and more. Find links, info, and newsletter issues at huggingthebar.substack.com. Until next time, I hope you enjoy whatever it is that you're drinking.